We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Well, we're excited across the, the, the organization, especially in the city of Phoenix. When we talk about adding Monty uh, Williams, who's a phenomenal human being, a, a tremendous coach. He gives us confidence. He gives yeah. the players confidence that it'll be different. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike B. Hill. I'm here with Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Mike. Uh, I want to get to the lottery, though. <laughs> it's not I that really, far away. I know it's not that far away. And it's the same stupid production every year. Like, ah, oh, this is going to be sad. We're going to talk about this already. Every year, <laughs> Suns fans go into the lottery mm-hmm. and you hype it up to be this like big event. Like you're watching. It's like the draft. It's the lottery. And then you watch it. It's usually during halftime of some important playoff game where they jerk you mm-hmm. around for about 45 minutes and then finally reveal the ping pong balls after like 80 commercial breaks <laughs> uh i'm not looking forward to it right now my heart's gonna be pounding in that like seven to ten pick range once we once we see if we drop all the way yeah. down to six or seven it's gonna be rough yeah but i want it to pass so that we can actually start to talk about the upcoming draft in a little bit more detail yeah there's a weird you just almost want to know what it is like at this point uh, of yeah. course i want number one and number two that's the ideal number one two or three i think that's a nice range to pick in i think you get your choice of anyone after those first two if you're third so you know you get the guy that you want um obviously zion is the prize john morant the number two that the perfect fit on this team ideally uh you know i'm nervous about it too it's a it's a weird thing where you get no, more and more nervous as it goes along, and there's just, I don't know, it'll be interesting. I think we're going to record right after it's over, right? Is that the plan? <laughs> That's the plan. Uh, we're either going to be really happy or really angry, yeah. and I don't know, you guys <laughs> will probably be there, uh, right there with us. I'm already nervous. It's it's not that far away. It's only a few days away. When people are listening to this, likely over the weekend for a lot of people, it's only a few days away. And then uh, we're going to be able to talk about it. And then we can really focus in on what the plan is for this offseason and start trying to figure out exactly what James Jones thinks. Um, what was nice for us, for those of you who have not heard it, go back and listen to our last episode. We had Shemit <laughs> Dua on. He, he is someone who covers the New Orleans Pelicans and knew a lot about Monty Williams, the brand new coach of the Phoenix Suns. Sam, we have a coach. We do have a coach. And how about that timing on that episode? We got lucky and unlucky. I will say we have paid our dues a little bit. We've done a lot of recording immediately. We recorded an hour and a half long podcast right before Igor Kokoschka <laughs> was fired. <laughs> and we had to get back on and record at 1 a.m. 
Uh, thanks to Streaker again for coming on and joining us. But we had to figure all that out on the move. So we got kind of lucky in this one in that we talked about Monty for half an hour and we had someone who could really give us a lot of insight into who Monty was and what kind of coach he was and how he helped or hurt some of the development of his teams. I will say I kind of expected Schmidt to have more negative stuff to say. You know, usually when you're talking to fans of teams whose staff is gone, they tend to focus on all the problems because they want to have rose-colored glasses coming up. But he seemed to have a lot of good impressions of Monty and his time with the Pelicans, although he did mention a few things that he didn't like. Um, Did you have any thoughts after thinking back on that interview? Yeah, well, I mean, thanks again to Schmidt for coming on. I thought it was great, but he's just one guy. Uh, and I don't want to give people the impression that Monty isn't a slightly controversial character. I do think he's still a controversial character in New Orleans. I do think he's um, disgraced isn't the right word. Like, it's not like a GM situation. I feel like GMs even more so than coaches when they get fired or just right. shat on by those fans. We've talked about that on this podcast before. Uh, but I, I do think. Let's just say I'm not necessarily drinking the Kool-Aid yet on Monty. I'm very happy. Right. Um, that you know we beat out the Lakers and that the Lakers just uh, uh, Theron right. Liu just passed on the Lakers and now they still have no coach all these weeks later. Happy about that. Um, but I do have some reservations about how he's actually going to translate the uh, X's and O's uh, to something, a, a style that fits the Phoenix Suns and whatever roster James Jones ultimately constructs. Yeah, let's cover that news just so people are all caught up. So on May 3rd, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted Monty Williams is finalizing a deal to become Phoenix's coach league sources tell ESPN this is after some reporting about Mark Stein said something like it's all pointing towards Monty joining the Phoenix Suns and then immediately after one minute later you know for me or people like me the small amount of people like me who actually care about reporters it was one minute later that Sham Sharania tweeted Philadelphia assistant Monty Williams has agreed to a five-year deal to become the new head coach of the Phoenix Suns. League sources tell The Athletic and Stadium. This was interesting to me because this is the longest contract that Robert Sarver has given to a coach of the Phoenix Suns. A five-year contract is a long contract. That's that's real. That's like a real coach. This is <laughs> actually a commitment, a little bit, to some stability. As we know with Igor Kokoshkov, he was only given a three-year deal. Mm. Didn't even make it halfway through that deal um earl watson i believe was only a two-year deal maybe a a third year option it was a very short contract didn't make it to half of that as well (laughs) not even close um maybe if it was a two-year deal it was half of that but then this is this is a real commitment to stability it's actually a move towards uh getting a coach and we talked about this a little bit after igor kakashkov was fired we talked about what, what would it take to actually get Monty to join the staff? My, my thought process was, unless we see Robert Sarver put some money on the line, basically, actually make a commitment, a long-term deal with high money. Now, we haven't found out, I did some digging, we still haven't found out exactly how much this deal is for, but I can't imagine that it was a small amount. He did technically outbid the Lakers, likely, uh, in, in this situation, so... After you heard that deal, uh, what was your initial thoughts on this, Sam? So my initial thought was actually that um, five-year deal, my my initial thought was that maybe this was because of the incompetence we've seen with the Phoenix Suns over the past 10 years, that they would have to, basically a sort of incompetence tax. They would be taxed by, um, by all of the bad decisions they've made right. in the past with coaches and would have to the hand The Sarver out, tax. Yes, the Sarver tax. What I then came to realize is more likely the case is it's not so much. Well, there is incompetence at play, but I think more so it's just experience. Monty Williams is the mm-hmm. first experienced head coach that the Phoenix Suns have hired since Alvin Gentry. It's been uh, basically a decade or, or slightly over a decade now. So I think that's really more what's at play here. You talk about Earl Watson getting three years, Igor Kakashkov getting three years. I don't remember. Do you remember... Um, Jeff Hornacek's contract off the top of your head. Mm. I don't remember that uh, one. I, I think it was four years. Might be four years. Mistaken. I'll try and find it. I'd have to, yeah, I'd have to go look that up. But regardless, the point being rookie head coaches, naturally a gamble. They just don't get the same sort of deals. Um, and I'm sure Monty and his uh, assistant, or sorry, agent were insistent uh, <laughs> on a longer term contract, especially with an organization like this. Who knows? Maybe he's going to, you know, get four years of paid leave. <laughs> God, I hope not. At the very least, I think this is a sign of stability because 
Robert Sarver is already paying three coaches basically this coming year because he still has money owed to Earl Watson. He still has money owed to uh, Igor Kokoshkov. And then, of course, he'll be paying the first year of this Monty Williams contract. Jeff Hornacek signed a three-year, $6 million contract with the Suns and was never extended. There was an expectation of an extension in 2015 that just never came about. Uh, weirdly at the time because he had done a relatively good job with the awkward roster that was given to him at that time um, all led to this. This is now we have Monty Williams. So my my first feelings about this was I like Monty. Now what I will say, there are issues and we'll talk a little bit about those issues actually coming up here. But my first thought is two of the best three seasons in the last decade by the Pelicans were coached by Monty. The only season that was better was a few seasons ago, Alvin Gentry got them to, I think, 48, 49 wins or something like that. This is also the first coach that the Suns have had that was a head coach in a playoff game <laughs> since Alvin Gentry. Yeah. So it's the first time we've had a coach that's actually coached, has experience in the playoffs as a head coach. Of course, Igor Kokoshkov was an assistant uh, you know that that's a little different though. It's a, it's different to be the head of a team at the playoffs. Now he did, of course, get smacked by the Golden State Warriors in that playoff series, but everyone does, so that's not much of a surprise on that end. But I think it's a, it's it's actually kind of a a cool thing that Monty was able to get Anthony Davis into the playoffs in his third mm. year in the league. That's kind of a big deal. He he came into we talked with Schmidt about it. He came into a team with Chris Paul. And didn't have a lot of time with Chris Paul. Now, I, I don't really point the blame at Monty for the dysfunctional relationship that Chris Paul had with Monty because Chris Paul seems to be a guy that just gets on everyone's nerves that he comes across with. So I, I don't really blame that on Monty. But then he immediately went into this tanking team. Uh, he talked about Jarrett Jack leading the team in win shares. That's pathetic. <laughs> that was a funny That's thing. Yeah. Pathetic. But then it makes me think, um, I think there was a season... The 15-16 season, now again, had to do this research before the actual recording of the podcast, but I think Mirza Toledovic led us in win shares one season. I'm going to go double check that now. Just to put in sense. this sort of season, yeah, it was that type of year for New Orleans. This was in 2011. And that led to Anthony Davis. So now he's he's got a young Anthony Davis, a generational player. Like It's, it's not like having a young Anthony Davis is a huge problem, but... Young players are young players. They don't tend to win in the NBA regardless of how good they are. It's difficult to win with a young roster. You need experience. You also need kind of a man's body. Now, Zion is a, is, a, is an exception. Of course, he came in. He's going to come into the league with a man's body. Anthony Davis did not. He was still really skinny. He's a lot stronger now. It takes time. You have to get used to these awkward pick-and-roll coverages. You have to get used to teams and how they play you, different styles of play, different spacing than college. And then they got into the playoffs in, in Anthony Davis's third year. That, to me, is impressive, and I'm impressed with that. Now, the idea, I think, is that Monty can come in and help the culture here. James Jones, in multiple interviews, had said that... Robert Sarver has tasked him with fixing the culture in Phoenix. Now, one thing I want to say, good luck, because that's a very difficult task. It's not to say that it's impossible. Businesses have fixed their culture in the past. What you have to do is put the person that is tasked with fixing the culture at the highest position of power, which is essentially where James Jones is outside of Robert Sarver. So as far as making the right decisions to do that, maybe this is a good decision. Obviously, we don't know how this is going to work. But one thing I wanted to talk about with you, Sam, Jeff Bauer steps in. Jeff Bauer is under James Jones, but Jeff Bauer is the guy that hired Monty Williams in New Orleans. Now, looking at this, it seems like this is all leading This is all leading to Monty now that we look back. It's possible that Jeff Bauer came into his interview and said, hey, you should hire me. I could probably get Monty to come coach you. <laughs> and that's something that you maybe should think about if you're thinking about firing Igor Kokoshkov there. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or do you think maybe that this is justifying Jeff Bauer's hire already? Or do you think that's, that's likely related? Well, it's been an elaborate scheme all along. Bring in Jeff <laughs> Bauer as the guy who knows Monty Williams because he hired Monty Williams before. Who likes Monty Williams? Kevin Durant from the one season that Monty... Mm. Uh, I'm kidding, by the way. <laughs> we will talk about <laughs> Kevin Durant later <laughs> on the podcast. I'm not going to be yeah. that ridiculous. What Jeff Bauer does in all seriousness... Uh, is just builds legitimacy. I mean, if you go back to that Kevin Arnovitz piece, I think that's who it was, right? Um, about the the Suns' dysfunction sort of early in the yeah. season. It painted a portrait 
of James Jones's uh, front office as not even having the contacts necessarily of other teams, not even being able to reach out or not even being receptive uh, of phone calls of other teams to be able to make moves. And Jeff Bauer is a guy who's been around the league with multiple franchises. So he builds legitimacy uh, just because he knows people. And that's important in this business. So do you think it's already a justified hire just from getting Monty? Or do you think that the issues that, that could potentially arise with Monty are too big? I mean, it's obviously too too early to judge this. Yeah. But to me, it, it seems clear that this was part of the plan all along. Maybe I'm jumping to some, some conclusions here, but these guys were connected. And, and it's hard it's hard for me to believe that this wasn't a conversation that happened very early with Jeff Bauer. You know, firing Igor Kokoshkov felt abrupt. Um, Monty Williams was immediately connected to them. And you and I talked about it on the last episode. He had not been hired yet. And both of us were kind of already convinced that he would be just because of the way the news was pointing. So it's hard for me to believe that that wasn't something that was planned from the beginning. Now, one thing I do want to ask you, Sam, too. This is a five-year deal. It's a long deal. It's it's the idea around it. I think is to is to prove consistency. One thing we've talked about in the past is it's difficult for players to fully get behind a coach if they don't feel like the front office is fully behind a coach. It's important for a front office, including an owner, to fully say, "No, this is the coach. You have to listen to what he's saying. He's not going to be replaced next year, even though that's been the case for the last four years." Here. Do you think that five-year deal and the idea of providing a longer consistency actually justifies that Igor Kokoshkov firing at this point? Mike, justify is a tough word. I don't know about justify. We, as much as I respect, the thing I like about Monty is it doesn't necessarily reflect uh, reflect in the win-loss record with New Orleans, but you saw the consistent year-to-year improvement going from 21 to 27 to 34 ultimately to 45 wins in a four-year stretch, just gradually getting better, developing Anthony Davis every year. All of that was important. That being said, there are a lot of questions, and we should start to get into this, a lot of questions about how he fits with Phoenix's roster. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I, would n- I would not be throwing around that word justify. Um, I-, I think this was expected, and that's why I'm not that mad anymore about Igor Kokoshkov being gone, because we've talked about it before, you just expect James Jones and company to to bring in their guys um it doesn't necessarily mean that we're gonna automatically see a better product on the floor as great of a guy as monty williams is what do you think you talked about how you're not overly excited and i would describe myself as cautiously optimistic so far and that's kind of the best i felt as a suns fan in a long time (laughs) ironically cautiously optimistic is a good state to be in uh considering where i was a few months ago um, when you think about Monty and you're not sure, uh, you said it a little earlier, you're not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. No. Why? Why, why are you not drinking the Kool-Aid yet? What do you feel about him so far that gives you a little bit of concern? And I have some thoughts too on that, but what do you feel? About so him? this, what I'm about to say is all speculation and we're going to be speculating a lot from now until the beginning of next season. That's our jobs. <laughs> I know. I know. I just feel like I have to, th- you know, because yeah, I don't know when, when you don't drink the Kool-Aid, sometimes people will go after you. But um, it, it's just it's hard to take anything that Philly is doing right now where Monty is an assistant coach or anything that OKC did a couple of years ago when Monty was an assistant coach and really isolate just how much of an impact he specifically had uh, on those two right. teams. Like Philly right now is playing a much more modern game. It's hard to tell how much of that is Monty, how much of that is Brett Brown. But what we do know is the last time Monty was a head coach, New Orleans was not a modern NBA offense. In fact, they were more like an offense that I think Suns fans grew to hate watching uh, under Earl Watson. It was that type of offense. The 2014-15 Pelicans that, you know, had a winning record, made it to the playoffs, even if they got spanked by Golden State, were 28th in the NBA in passes per game. They were second in ISOs, very frequently running ISO plays, even on a team that didn't have superstar players like that. They were running ISOs for guys like Tyreek Evans and Drew Holiday and Eric Gordon. Uh, and and they just weren't shooting a lot of threes. They were setting up uh, sort of plays where a- Anthony Davis didn't start shooting threes until Monty Williams was fired. Uh, you have players like Dante Cunningham, 
weren't shooting threes until Monty Williams was fired. And, and a guy like that actually is a really interesting case because he was arguably able to extend his NBA career by a few years just by that simple switch where literally the season after Monty Williams was fired, Donna Cunningham went from 56% of his attempts being in the mid-range to just 16% of his attempts being in the mid-range, extended that range for him, completely opened up his offense and made him useful in the modern era in a way that he wasn't before. Monty's offense is very reliant, uh, at least in New Orleans, on these sort of 18-foot mid-range shots that just it doesn't make any sense. Not in today's NBA, anyway. Now, the encouraging signs are that Joel Embiid, again, Philly plays a modern game. They don't run uh, ISOs all that often. Joel Embiid is allowed to shoot threes. And those are encouraging signs as we look ahead to what sort of coach he's going to be in Phoenix. We just, you can't say for sure. All we can go off is uh, the last time he was a head coach. And the last time he was a head coach, not that encouraging. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's funny that you bring up Earl Watson and talk about that because Earl Watson's playbook was a lot out of the Spurs playbook. And I think that's kind of how Monty Williams is viewed is as sort of a Spurs disciple there. And it's someone who's coming from uh, that environment. Now, yeah, it's a little awkward. I, I actually agree with you on that. It, there are some concerns there. Can he develop a modern offense? Now, I will say it's different. It's different. Now, I, I, he did coach until 2015. Uh, so it wasn't that long ago that he was a head coach. But things have drastically changed even since then. Pace has sped up. More threes than ever taken before. Can he adapt to that? I, I wonder, and, and we don't really know. Of course, Sam, it's got to be Ricardo Foix. This guy's going to fix all of our problems, right? <laughs> He's famous for making analytics seem easy. So all he has to do is create a really great uh, graphic, I think, to show uh, Monty Williams, and then all those problems will be solved. Now, of course, that's a Look, joke, but, I mean, that's kind of what he's here for. Monty's not stupid. He understands expected value as a principle. He understands, I think, now that three is greater than two uh, with as good as NBA bigs are, are at shooting the three these days, right? So I I have faith. I, I would describe myself as you. I'm not trying to be a downer. I am cautiously optimistic about this hire. I'm just saying if his offense looks like uh, what it did last time, we might be in for a little trouble. Now, on the other hand, he did some really interesting modern things. He had Ryan Anderson, and I know you're thinking Ryan Anderson, but like Ryan Anderson... He used to be good. Ryan Anderson used to be good, and you could run interesting Spain pick-and-roll actions with a guy like Drew Holiday as your point guard, double screens coming from Anthony Davis uh, and Ryan Anderson, where Ryan Anderson is your pick-and-popper, and Anthony Davis is your pick-and-roller. And you could do interesting things uh, with the Suns as well, depending, of course, on who you have at the four. If you've got Zion Williamson at the four and DeAndre Ayton at the five, maybe you have a little bit more worries about clogging the paint. But depending on who the Suns bring in at power forward next year, you know, Monty was more than uh, receptive to those ideas of trying to space the floor in some modest ways. He just wasn't huge uh, on his team taking a lot of threes. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Thinking about a, pain, a Spain pick and roll uh, with Zion, Aiton, and Booker is a bizarre thing to think about. I guess it would be Aiton setting the down screen for Zion probably yeah. in that case well, and, and spotting up for a mid-range. Or you could run it with a wing likely like you could run it with some sort of DJ wing like you could run that action I think he ran that action in New Orleans with an off-ball guard like Eric Gordon you could have right. Booker doing that it just depends on who you have a point guard but the other thing is um with these isolation plays I really hope that if the Suns do luck into Zion Williamson or John Moran that isolation should not be a heavily featured part of those guys offensive profiles not in year one that to me sounds like a Basically a recipe for disaster if you're actually trying to win games. As good as those two prospects are, if you put them in that situation, uh, then they're going to struggle a lot. Devin Booker is mature enough at this point where I think he can handle that load. Uh, but John Morant is... I, I don't want John Morant to try to be Russell Westbrook or, or Trey Young, maybe as a better example, in year one if the Suns are trying to actually win more than 25 or 30 games, if the Suns would get him. If the Suns are forced to put Ja Morant in that position coming out of the draft immediately, we have failed the other players on this roster. That's just the way it is. This is step one, right? Step one, get the right guys in the coaching staff. I'm very excited to see who fills out the rest of this coaching staff going forward. Obviously, we're likely going to wait until the the, I'm guessing the Philadelphia 76ers will be out of the playoffs sometime in the next week or so. <laughs> so maybe we'll get some more 
information about this soon and we can see who else is filling out the coaching staff but that's going to be a lot here step two is fixing this roster we cannot set monty up for failure and i expect that part of the interview because an interview in this scenario with the phoenix suns when robert sarver showed up to interview Monty Williams. To me, that was more like Monty Williams interviewing Robert Sarver. We've heard some of the news about this. And the news was that uh, Robert Sarver stepped in and said, I'm going to leave you alone, essentially. I'm going to allow you to coach. I'm going to let you take control of this roster. I'm going to let you uh, coach and be the man that's in charge of this team. I'm not going to step in. I'm not going to meddle. Whether or not that remains to be the case two years from now, two years into this five-year contract, remains to be seen, obviously. He's not really the type of guy that can be trusted in this scenario. But if we're to believe that this is step one in a culture rebuild, the next step is fixing the players. You have to fill this roster out with proper players at all positions. And that means if Monty was interviewing Robert Sarver in that scenario, of course he was saying, are you going to leave me alone? Are you going to allow me to coach? And probably number three, are you going to give me players? I need players. This was actually in the introductory press conference of Igor Kokoshkov. They asked him about the idea of winning games. And he said, the number one thing in winning games is players. That was the first thing that Igor Kokoshkov said in his introductory press conference. Even Igor understood that, you know, for all his faults. And, you know, on this podcast, we're not going to fault him for everything. We just understand that this is this is a problem across the board here with our front office. But I imagine that step two will be fixing this roster. I'm really interested to see what happens here because you can't fix all of the holes in this roster in a single offseason. And it's a puzzle. It's a difficult puzzle that they're going to have to figure out. They can get away with saying, oh, we're playing these young guys for a while, but Monty wants to win too. Devin Booker wants to win too. DeAndre Ayton wants to win too. And there is a bit of a timetable on this for them to actually continue to stay happy on this team. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do going forward. Yeah, it really makes it interesting what the strategy is going to be this summer because you can go a couple of different routes with it. They can get a max contract free agent. But... Mm -hmm. It's going to come at the cost of essentially all your depth. And if players are the most important thing, you know, maybe a more reasonable route for the Suns to take is to ditch the idea of going after the uh, the biggest fish out there in the sea and going after sort of a plethora of veterans and kind of stacking your roster with more depth, even if it limits your ceiling. Um, I, I really don't know what they're going to do. It's just, you know, some teams have really set themselves up financially in a fantastic way. Team, look at a team like the Brooklyn Nets that have the potential to actually add two max contract free agents. The Suns, and we're going to get into this a, a little bit more in a minute, really only have the potential for one. And even if they did that, it would come with a lot of sacrifice, and it would only be that one guy. There's no way that they can get two guys. So they have to be a, just a little bit more careful about what they're going to do. It's going to be really hard for them to fill all of the holes they have on this roster uh, in a single offseason, like you said. Yeah, and you know this is going to be a fascinating offseason going forward, which is great for you and I, Sam, <laughs> because we have to talk about it every week. Uh, but it, it makes me a little nervous because, like I said, these, these problems are not all going to be solved. And I think Monty probably understands that. He understands how difficult it is to put a roster together in a single season. There are some nice pieces. We, Of course, we, we know who they are. They're Devin Booker, they're DeAndre, and they're Mikhail Bridges. These are guys that we can have for a minimum five years. Uh, potentially Kelly Oubre too. Beyond that, I think everyone's up for grabs here. We, we don't know what's going forward. So that's going to be a fascinating thing to, to track. One thing I want to talk about quickly, and this is a difficult conversation to talk about with Monty Williams, but some of the criticisms that he's gotten in the past, uh, some of the things that we've talked to some people about, Sam and I, um, he does not like drinking. <laughs> this is an interesting <laughs> thing to talk about. I didn't know where you were going with this, so yeah, it's funny that you brought that up. <laughs> he is, well, here's what it is. Here's what it is with Monty. Similar to Mark Jackson, he's very religious and he takes his faith very serious, seriously, which I respect. And I think a lot of players respect because a lot of players take their, their personal faith very seriously as well. It's difficult in a business environment to navigate that. And I, I'm confident that he will. But I think it's an important thing to tell Suns fans about now because it's something that has been brought up to Sam and I in the past and it's something that we should be prepared to think about as we move forward. 
Um, it's been said that players were benched for drinking. <laughs> well, they played with the Pelicans because he does not like drinking. Justifiable, I think, if you're during the regular season, you probably shouldn't be partying a lot. He would have probably hated P.J. Tucker. <laughs> I will say that. Uh, P.J. Tucker, a famous drinker. Um, he's very religious, and that's fine, but it can make some players feel a little isolated if they don't have the same faith as uh, Monty does. So I don't anticipate that being a problem, but I think it's a storyline that I, th- I think should be just brought up quickly just in case it becomes something that we do talk about later in the future. It's not a surprise to the people that listen to this podcast. I'm not super worried about that, but I did think it was important to talk about. Do you have any thoughts on that, Sam? Yeah, I mean, it should definitely be brought up. He's entering what's likely going to be a locker room full of young 20-somethings. He has to be prepared. If if these guys are going to like him, obviously you're a professional basketball player. You're getting paid millions of dollars. You're going to do what your coach says most of the time, regardless of uh, their outside views. But if you're really trying to build a strong interpersonal relationship that maybe extends beyond basketball, you know, as Earl Watson would say, bleeds into family, then Monty Williams uh, and some of his more conservative views, that's definitely something that players are going to take into consideration. And it's important to mention because it became a huge storyline with Golden State and Mark Jackson and the way Mark Jackson treated Mm -hmm. his players uh, and really got sort of that locker room to turn against each other and eventually on him after Steve Kerr came in. I'm not saying that Monty Williams is anything like Mark uh, Mark Jackson. Everything we hear is that he has a much better reputation than that. Uh, But it's always something to keep in mind. Yeah, and I, like I said, I'm not super worried about this. I just didn't want it to catch people off guard. And obviously, we're going to talk a lot about Monty Williams going forward. Uh, so I think we can put that to bed for now. But let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about this new practice facility. And we can talk about the potential of how it would be possible to sign a max player like, say, uh, someone who enjoys Monty Williams, Kevin Durant. All right, guys, I'm really excited about this. We've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shift right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors, it's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and double blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your razor for $3. This week in Suns history, the 1993 Phoenix Suns were the number one overall seed going into the playoffs and were set to play the only team in the playoffs with a losing record, the Los Angeles Lakers, the number eight seed. This was Charles Barkley's first year in a Phoenix Suns jersey, and the pressure was on. What must it mean to know you were brought to a team for one reason, to win a championship? And imagine then the pressure when your team opens the playoffs with two home losses, stunning defeats to the underdog Lakers, an aging team that has won their NBA championships as James Worthy and his teammates rediscovered Laker pride. Your frustration, your failure were magnified. For the league's winningest team, was it going to end like this? What does it take to be a champion? A win in game three. But not with convincing confidence, the spark's still missing. Then Thursday night, game four. The explosive talent, the energy, the flair, the fun was back. The Phoenix dream still alive. For some, the game five doubts still linger. How about Charles Barkley? Have his son's teammates the stuff it takes to be a champion? Or will the Lakers once again surprise and be worthy of their glorious past?
1993 NBA Playoffs. The Lakers beat the Suns in the first two games, stunning everyone watching. Then the Suns came back and won two in a row, leading to a game on May 9th, 1993. And in this one game, the Suns would run roughshod over the Lakers. The Lakers are struggling now. The Suns putting it away now. Even it up, and we want to give the fans something to really cheer about in Game 5 in Phoenix. Aims to Barkley with Worthy. James Worthy was a scoring machine in the fourth. But Marley tied the game up in regulation. And when overtime came around, it was Miller time. The Sens were able to come back and win against the Los Angeles Lakers, a team that was unlikely to be up against the Suns in the first place. Shout out to Charles Barkley, shout out to Kevin Johnson, and shout out to the unlikely hero in Oliver Miller. Huge news, huge, huge news. Outside of the coach, we finally discovered that the Phoenix Suns are really actually building a new practice facility, something that is near and dear to mine and Sam's hearts, something that we've considered vital for a proper rebuild of this team. Invest in it. I know this is boiling it down, but invest in the team. Invest in it. And this is step one, I think, in investing money outside of the actual personnel. Build a building that fully well, let's read the press release. This comes from Gina Mizell and everyone else who received this press release, but I saw it in Gina Mizell's Twitter feed first. This is what it says. It's a little, well, you'll see. Robert Sarver's investment in our new <laughs> training facility. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. All right. Robert Sarver's investment in our new training facility demonstrates his co commitment to ensuring we have the proper resources to meet at the highest level. This is from James Jones. There are extensive limitations to the player development and training space available in our nearly 30-year-old arena. First of all, I have to say, all right, we're already, we're already remodeling the arena. You don't have to continue putting it down, James Jones. But also, he says, the development of this standalone secure and private facility will enhance our player health, development, and wellness capabilities and allow us to retain and attract the best basketball talent to the Valley for years to come. And I actually agree with all of this. Sam and I have talked about it in the past. It's important to have a state-of-the-art facility for a lot of reasons. One, you should have a state-of-the-art facility to ensure the health and wellness of the players that are on your roster. And two, it actually does help with free agents. If you can show them that the team is willing to invest money into their players and ensuring that they are at their peak athletically, then it's more likely they will come. And we've talked about that in the past, and it's been proven because Trevor Ariza was really disappointed in the facilities that we have. And I think this has proven that. Um, this isn't a lot of news, but do you have any thoughts on it, Sam? Well, props to Robert Sarver, I guess. Oh, and he's paying for this on his own, by the way. Yeah, that's no okay. Money. That's the only thing I want to say. This is not involved in your, your taxpayer dollars. None of that. Because this actually is paid for by the Suns. This one thing we can give that we can mm -hmm. throw them this one bone <laughs> this one time. Uh, it still reads like a press release. You know, it's still kind of nauseating. It is one. It is a press release. You know, they tend to be nauseating. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, props to Robert Sarver. Forty fourth and Camelback is. Uh, I'm not from Phoenix. That's downtown, right? Nope, not actually. <laughs> no, never mind. Okay, yeah. I don't fucking know what I'm. Talking about. <laughs> It's at the foot of Camelback Mountain. For those people who don't know, the foot of Camelback Mountain, that's kind of the upper Arcadia area. That's kind of what it's referred to. Camelback Mountain is a beautiful hiking mountain in Phoenix that you can hike and see the entirety of the Phoenix area. It's also where a lot of rich people live. Do people actually hike? Oh, yeah. There? Yes, Phoenix is a big hiking. Without dying of dehydration? Maybe I'm a baby. Well, Sam, think about this. Think about this. The The weather here is excellent nine months out of the year. <laughs> it's only three months that it's bad. So for nine months, you can hike just at any time of the day. For those three months and that I'm it's sure really that's bad. that's what James Jones will be telling Kevin Durant this summer. <laughs> well, it's I mean, those are, selling points we have. those are the nine months that the, that the actual NBA season 
is during. So uh, feel free to yeah. leave during the summer when it's super, super hot. Any free agent that joins the Phoenix Suns, although it's nice to live in Phoenix, I will say, for all its flaws, it's not a bad place to live. But the 44th in Camelback area is a nice area. I was telling Sam before we started recording, I once saw Goran Dragic at the Target that's near there. I think that a lot of players live in that Camelback Mountain area because that's where you can get a really nice massive house that has some privacy. Um, It's kind of, you know, it's about a 20-25 minute drive from the actual arena if you were to live on Camelback Mountain, I think the idea around this is they can put it at the foot of that mountain so that these players can live on Camelback Mountain and just drive down to the bottom of that mountain and that's where their practice facility is. And I have to say, that's really smart. That's actually really smart. If if you're rich, you can live in your rich neighborhood that's not super far out of town and just drive to the foot of your mountain and that's where your practice facility is. Um, it's expected that it won't be done until 2021. So there's still a lot of time before this is actually a usable uh, space, a usable facility. But I think they did a good job with this, and I think they're doing the right thing. And for those of you who don't remember, it's $150, $150 million of public money and $80 million of Robert Sarver's money. And part of that $80 million is to build this practice facility. I've heard rumors that this will be a $20 million facility. We don't really know. The rest of the money that uh, Robert Sarver's pitching in will go into that Uh, actual arena renovations. So good news, I think. And it will be interesting to follow this as we go forward. Maybe we need to make like a music break that's like practice facility watch (laughs) so so that we can really track this news because of how important we've made it uh, over the last few years. But any other thoughts on this? 20 to 25 minutes really is pretty good from the arena too because that's always a consideration for players. Again, I can only make a New York parallel, but I know for a fact the Knicks practice facility is way out in the suburbs and it is hard it is hard on the players i don't actually know where the players live uh but it's hard on them it'd be like a 45 minute well they're not taking the train but it would be like a 45 minute 50 minute uh drive to get to msg probably from that practice facility uh so yeah it's seems like this is a pretty good location yeah i think they did a good job i was really fascinated to see where i knew it was going to be in phoenix that's the only thing that we heard i think that was part of the deal made with the city that this money would go into a phoenix facility and not be moved to another area in the valley so it's nice that it's in phoenix but this is the first that we've heard of the actual location that it's going to be as soon as we get some more information you better believe i'll go scout it (laughs) i want to see where they're going to build it i already looked at google maps i couldn't really figure out where the space is i'm wondering if they're going to tear down the building uh, to build it up or if it's going to be deeper in one of the neighborhoods so as soon as we find out i'll go check it out i'll let you guys know what i see uh, it's probably going to be just a big dirt field but <laughs> as soon as i see anything else i'll let you guys know uh, but some things that have come up since monty williams was hired players like him multiple players have stepped out and said that's a good hire uh you know first thing was jared dudley jared dudley always steps in bradley beal actually chimed in immediately and he just he just was like oh okay monty williams i thought that was interesting uh but the big one the headliner the guy who's making news kevin durant the snake himself the best player in the nba oh right now hot take hot take not hot take everyone's um, saying it everyone's saying no it, it's right. true it's it's well Kawhi Leonard's pretty good right now i just want to say That's I know, true. I know, no, it's not Kawhi. look at his shooting stats yeah look at kd's shooting stats Oh, now I got to compare them. Look what you're doing. Here we go. Well, I mean, it's not Curry. <laughs> it's not Harden. It's not Giannis. And it's not LeBron. If we're well, talking about yeah, the best player in the league, yeah. right? Those are probably, you know, the next four in whatever order you want to put them. Fair. Uh, that, that's a fair, that's a fair point, point to put. Yeah, and I actually don't, I don't, I don't disagree. Durant has maybe been the best player in the NBA for like three years and just no one wanted to admit it because he was on oh, Golden yeah. State. He's pretty unlikable. Have uh, is that is that a bad take to say we're maybe, ah, uh, I don't know, extending LeBron's prime a little bit longer than it actually lasted? Like, well, I don't know. Actually, you know what? I don't want to make any firm commitments. Kevin Durant is the best player in the league, but the past couple <laughs> years, it was really up in the air. This is a good era for NBA basketball. Maybe it was LeBron last year. I'm gonna think about that. We should probably um, move on. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't important. This isn't important to you. I, I just want to just a shout out to 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 Kawhi Leonard just just for the record because he's currently shooting forty six percent from the three point line, fifty seven percent from the field goal range, 
and 86% from free throw and averaging 31 points per game. Those stats are unbelievable. And of course, Kevin Durant's not far behind, 52% from the field goal percentage, 43% from the three, both of those lower, but averaging a higher amount of points in 35 points. And of course, their defense is actually comparable at this point because uh, Kawhi Leonard is a little bit worse than he was the last time we saw him play, and Kevin Durant is a lot better. He's gotten a lot better at defense over the last few years. But that's not the point here. An interesting debate to bring up here. I just, I'm a big fan of Kawhi Leonard. What can I say? He, he, dissed, he dissed the Spurs, so <laughs> I enjoy that. Um, but what's come up out of this is Kevin Durant is a big fan of Monty Williams and Kevin Durant also happens to be a free agent this summer. So of course, Suns fans are running wild with this and I love it. I think it's hilarious. I don't think Kevin Durant is coming to Phoenix. I think that's an important (laughs) point to say, but some people have said that it's impossible with our cap space situation. And some people have said that's ridiculous. Nothing's impossible if you try. And I think that's actually a fair point to bring up in this case. If Kevin Durant wanted to come to the Phoenix Suns, is it possible? And I gave this to you, Sam, as homework. I'm sorry I was busy today. (laughs) But I gave this to you as homework to figure out a, a way that the Suns could potentially sign Kevin Durant. So after looking at it, what do you think? Yes. All right, let's move on. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, look, we're gonna get so fucking tired of saying this. Uh, the whole cap space thing. Didn't we go over cap space like not last episode, maybe the episode before? I don't remember. The Suns will have it, trying to retain the the cap holds for Kelly Oubre and Rashawn Holmes. Uh, Oubre is a restricted free agent. Holmes is an unrestricted free agent. Trying to retain those two things and then getting rid of. Dragon Bender, Troy Daniels, Jamal Crawford, Ray Spalding, and Jimmer Fredette, they start out their offseason with $7.6 million approximately in cap space. Depending on who they get in the draft, it changes depending on their cap slot. If they end up with a 6th or 7th pick, first of all, that fucking sucks. But also, then maybe you have 10 or $11 million in cap space to start out, not $7.6 million, like if you get John Morant or Zion Williamson. That being said, Kevin Durant, a max contract, will start, it will be 35% of the salary cap, the salary cap for next year Jesus. is set at $109 million because that's the type of money that you get, Mike, if you're, you know, this exquisite veteran who's uh, mm-hmm. eligible for these super max contracts, you know, the top mm-hmm. cream of the crop, guys like John yeah. Wall. The, yeah, anyway. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. His, Kevin Durant's max contract. And Russell Westbrook. And Russell Westbrook. Well, actually, I want to talk about Russell in a bit. We will, we will. Because um, that was, like, stupid today. But um, Durant's <laughs> max contract will start at $38.2 million. We have 7.6 if we're trying to retain Oubre and Holmes. If you wave and stretch Tyler Johnson's contract, bang, now you're up to $20.4 million, Still $18 million less than you need. If you did... In addition to getting rid of Tyler Johnson, somehow found two suitors that would do a cap dump trade of both TJ Warren and Josh Jackson's salaries, and you took back literally no NBA salary in return. You would end up with 38, this is approximate, again, approximately 38.3 million in cap space. Kevin Durant's max contract costs 38.2. So right there is a scenario, although it would probably be hard to facilitate a trade where you get rid of TJ Warren and Josh Jackson for literally nothing except draft picks. So I think the more likely scenario, if you want to get Kevin Durant, is you have to say bye to Kelly Oubre. You can't keep his cap hold. Uh, You have to sort of just accept that he's going. Rashawn Holmes' cap hold is only about $1.5 million. It's really relatively cheap, so I do think you would be able to potentially keep him and sign him over the cap. But we're looking at a situation where Kevin Durant comes in, Going out is Ubre, Bender, Daniels, Crawford, Spalding, Fredette, Tyler Johnson, and TJ Warren. And you have to cap dump TJ Warren for like, I don't know, second round picks or a late first round pick or maybe a rookie contract player in return. You have to trade him to some team with cap space. In other words, basically all of the Suns' depth. That sounds great. Let's do it. No, it's it's great. It's great. No, I would still fucking do it. Are you kidding? But um, yes. But then, but then, okay. And then you re-sign Rashawn Holmes. You go over the cap to re-sign Rashawn Holmes using his bird rights again. He's an unrestricted free agent, so you can't match. Uh, but you still do have his bird rights. And again, this is a situation that assumes the Suns get lucky in the lottery. They end up with Zion or Jaw. 
for the, for the sake of uh, argument, let's say they end up with John Morant. Here's what your depth chart looks like heading into the latter portion of the offseason, uh, you know, when there's still like some free agents scrambling around looking for scraps. Your depth chart would be John Morant, DeAnthony Melton, and Elia Kobo at point guard. Uh, Booker at shooting guard. Jackson and Bridges at small forward. Kevin Durant as your power forward. DeAndre Ayton and Rashawn Holmes at center. That's a total of nine players. And you are now tasked, if you're James Jones at that point, with filling out that maybe uh, also additionally a 10th player from the TJ Warren cap dump trade, potentially, you know, someone who's not good. But if you're James Jones at that point, you need to go out and add some depth because that bench would be horrific. And you need to go out and get like four or five players using veteran minimums or the mid-level exception uh, or like, you know, non-guaranteed training camp invites or second round rookies, things like that to really fill out the rest of your roster as you're already over the cap. Yeah, uh, that would be a difficult task. And I think if you look at that, you'd say, why would Kevin Durant come to a team like that when he has the choice to even potentially stay on the Warriors? And that's a fair question to ask. But then you start looking at it and say, well, what could the Suns do to actually provide more talent around them? And to me, if you're looking at this, the only way you can sell Kevin Durant on this, and I'm not saying it's possible, but what if Anthony Davis was still a big fan of Monty Williams? Let's just say he still is. At that point, would you actually consider trading someone like DeAndre Ayton or potentially uh, DeAndre Ayton along with some picks for Anthony Davis? Could you potentially build a team that has Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant? Then that becomes a little more interesting for a guy like Kevin Durant. Not saying that this is possible, but if you are legitimately trying to get a player of Kevin Durant's caliber... This is the type of thing that you have to sell him on. This is the only way that it becomes interesting. Anthony Davis, it's important to note, is kind of cheap. He's only making $25 yeah. million right now because he's a younger player. He's, you know, those early five-year extensions that players are eligible for are not like the Supermax Kevin Durant, $38 to $40 million. To get Anthony Davis at $25 million, you need to match the contracts uh, or, or match salaries in a trade because, again, the Suns would be over the cap. But as long as New Orleans is willing to take pieces like Tyler Johnson uh, paired with TJ Warren, that would that would cover the salary right there. And then you give him DeAndre, or DeAndre Ayton himself makes a lot of money. He, he makes like $8 million yeah. because he's a number one overall pick. So it would be pretty easy to, mm -hmm. to sort of facilitate that trade. I'm not saying it would be easy. It, it wouldn't be easy to facilitate the trade in terms of getting David Griffin to agree to it, uh, but it would just be easy from a practical logistical standpoint, the Suns could do it. If they're now, really trading Anthony Davis, if they actually really are trading Anthony Davis, and I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but DeAndre Ayton would be the best guy that they could potentially get. Now, I, of course, I don't want to trade DeAndre Ayton, but I'm saying if if you if if Suns fans are actually considering actually considering the idea of Kevin Durant coming, to, which is a hilarious sentence as I say it out loud. But if we're actually considering the idea of Kevin Durant legitimately coming to Phoenix because he's that big of a fan of Devin Booker, he's that big of a fan of Monty Williams then you have to look at surrounding him by guys that can win right now. There is absolutely no way that Kevin Durant is going to go to a team because he wants to play with a bunch of young guys that have to learn how to win. He wants to win now. He probably believes that Devin Booker could be a guy like that. We've heard how he's talked about him in the past. One of his favorite players, he wanted the, the Thunder to draft him initially when he was on the Thunder, and he's heaped praise on him ever since. So that means that you actually legitimately have to look at an idea of putting a team together of Anthony Davis, uh, Devin Booker, and uh, and Kevin Durant. And this is something that Jeff Bauer probably does think about. He's probably a massive fan of Anthony Davis. We know he's a fan of Monty Williams. And if you're James Jones, there's no reason to not think about this. Uh, it's not going to happen. But if it does, we, we, we'll we be the first to talk about it, right? <laughs> yep, you know it. Wow, so we did it. We built a championship roster. We have to just fill it out, but I think Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant could be a pretty good roster going forward. Yeah, the only thing would be like it, it would one devastating injury to that team really just wrecks it. You can see with Golden State right now, the only way that they're vulnerable, how awesome, first of all, even even though there are these workarounds like, you know, DeMarcus Cousins taking a bullshit contract, how awesome is it that we talk about a league that has a salary cap? That's really important because yeah. not every league is like this. Yeah. Not every league has this sort of financial parity. And I think people get frustrated with the state of basketball and the lack of parity. But I always make the distinction, basketball doesn't have parity in a singular season-to-season -season sense because each player has so much individual value. 
that if you get a uh, a player that you can build a dynasty around, then you can really keep that player for five to ten years and dominate. Where basketball does have parity that people don't give the league enough credit for is that any franchise, big or small market, has the potential to build a dynasty within the framework of the CBA. We just saw Golden State do it after they were a laughing stock of the league for about 25 years. And the Suns can do the same thing simply by playing uh, by the rules. That sort of thing that we should not take that for granted. This sort of thing does not happen in baseball. If we were a New York Yankees, Mm -hmm. I'm a Yankees fan. I don't think I've ever said that before, and I might catch some hate for that. If, mm. if, if this was a Yankees, I don't care. If this was a Yankees podcast. You have the privilege of knowing that I don't like. You have the privilege. Well, <laughs> hey, there was that Red Sox podcast that briefly became Suns. I haven't checked up on them uh, to see if they're still doing <laughs> that bullshit. But uh, if, if this was, if we were talking about baseball, if this was the Yankees, you'd have the privilege of just buying up all of the talent every offseason, or a team like the Dodgers. If this was a team, uh, podcast about some small market bullshit team like uh, the Oakland Athletics or the Miami Marlins, you can't bu- build a dynasty. You'll build a team that maybe gets to the World Series once, and then you have a fire sale and sell off all your talent because you can't afford it. We're very lucky right. that in basketball, even the Phoenix Suns can entertain the possibility of adding Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. It may not be likely because it's Phoenix and not LA or New York, but it is certainly possible. There's always that outside chance. And of course... You can build those teams through the draft uh, very easily as well. Not easily, but just feasibly. Well, that was fun to enter into a fantasy world for a little while. The, the, the craziest part about all this is that it's legitimately possible. Not, not that these players would actually want to do it, but that it's possible within the rules. And that's, that's the funniest part about it. I think that's the point that you were trying to make, Sam, there. And I want to say thank you for doing that research. I, f- I find it really fascinating that you found a way to potentially actually sign Kevin Durant and actually keep Kelly Oubre and Rashawn Holmes. I didn't expect you to do that. I just assumed when I first asked you to take a look at that, that, that you would just be throwing out that Kelly Oubre contract because they, they play similar positions. And of course, Kevin Durant is a better player. But I mean, if we if that was possible to keep Kelly Oubre as a depth piece on a team with Kevin Durant, dear Lord, that would be amazing. But uh, very, very impressed with the work that you did there. Depends how much he wants, though, because at that point, you're honestly talking about luxury tax territory. If Kelly Oubre is making $15 million on top of the salary cap, and then you've got several other free agents you're bringing in on the mid-level exception, $5 million here, $8 million there, $3 million here, Robert Sarver's not going to pay the luxury tax for a team that won 19 games this season before. It's just not. Well, with Kevin Durant, maybe he would be willing to, but we don't know anything about him with a competitive team because it's it hasn't happened since he was managing a team that somebody else put together before he joined uh, before he joined up. So who knows what would happen in that case? The point I think that we wanted to make with this is that although Kevin Durant coming to Phoenix is unlikely and impossible from a personality standpoint, there's just no reason for him to do this as far as his personality. It's not impossible from a cap standpoint. Is it difficult? Yeah, it is difficult. Signing a max player is difficult for just about any team. Not very many teams are in a situation the way that Brooklyn or the Knicks are or the Clippers are where they just have, they lined up their salaries to all kind of drop off all at the same time so that they could make way for potential max players. The Suns can get to a max spot, even that high level of a max spot. It's just difficult to do. Uh, so that's the point that we wanted to make here. So uh, you can take a look at that and kind of think of it what you will going forward. Uh, of course, it's it's very unlikely, but it'll be fun to follow. Even if he does just take a meeting here, I think that would be nice. And I actually think that's possible just, be, just out of cur- courtesy to Monty Williams. But any other thoughts on that, Sam? No, that's it. I, can we quickly talk about Russell Westbrook? Oh, yes, yes. What did you want to say? I have some thoughts too, but go ahead. Uh, well, just, I don't know. I mean, do, do people know? Maybe we should set the stage first. There was this idea. I don't yeah. even know. Do you know the background of where this originated? Well, I think, well, there's a couple things. Um, the first I saw somebody from OKC stepped into the Phoenix Suns subreddit. And actually this is immediately after the, uh, the OKC Thunder were knocked out of the playoffs and said, Hey, would you guys be willing to trade for, Russell Westbrook. That was the first time I saw anybody bring up the idea of trading for Russell Westbrook. Uh, apparently, a Oklahoma radio station also 
made a fake trade between the Phoenix Suns for Russell Westbrook. I think they kind of look at Russell Westbrook as this sunk cost, this massive contract for a player that's on the downside of his career, and they're looking for a team that would be desperate for talent, and they kind of targeted Phoenix for that, and that's fair uh, for the record, but uh, they just made up a fake trade, and I think now it's kind of making its way around the internet, and Suns fans and Suns personalities are making their opinions known. Um, I have thoughts, but what are yours? This is a really simple conversation. Russell Westbrook has tons of flaws. We would be idiots to not address those flaws. You know, he's he's officially on the wrong side of 30. He's had a lot of surgeries in the past. We don't know how his knees are going to hold up in the future. He's making a shit ton of money. He's arguably not coachable. He just had his least efficient season in his entire career. We don't know how well he plays with other superstars. That's a lot of flaws. That being said, Russell Westbrook is still a top 15 player in the NBA today, and I'd be willing to bet that he will continue to be a top 15, top 20 NBA player for at least two to three more seasons, if I had to bet on it. That that decline, once you hit the age of 32, 33, it can come fast, but I think it would be a safe bet that for the next two to three years, he will be that good of a player. So the scenario the OKC radio station threw out was TJ Warren, who is on the chopping block anyway. Tyler Johnson, who was basically a replacement level backup point guard that we thrust into a starting role for 10 games, and the number three overall pick, which everyone basically agrees this year there is no consensus number three pick because there are tons of prospects who, you know, give out these bust alarms. I just think it's a no brainer trade for Phoenix to add talent. We can't, we've had this conversation before in the podcast. We can't turn up our noses at superstar players. I don't even think this is a scenario that's even at all on the table i just don't understand why anyone would say no to this i agree well in the past i've agreed (laughs) and by that i mean we need players we need talent Uh, the idea that we can just turn down talent is a hilarious idea to me but i understand the concern about russell westbrook specifically a lot of what he was capable of in the past is based on his explosive athletic ability. And if that explosive athletic ability starts to go away and starts to go away rapidly, his usefulness on the court starts to go away rapidly. If he cannot fix his shot, and to his credit, he addressed the fact that he needs to become a more efficient shooter, and he said that he's going to work on that this offseason. And for someone to actually acknowledge what they're the worst at is a good thing to do. So if he does fix that, then great. Maybe he can have that late, Jason Kidd style resurgence in his shooting in his career. But it's just, I, I let's just say this. I wouldn't turn it down, but I understand why people are nervous on that. It's the same reason that they were nervous for a guy like John Wall, somebody that we just made a joke about earlier on this podcast. It's a lot of money going to someone that's had injury problems that could potentially lose one of their most effective abilities on the court going forward. Um, so I guess I'm not taking a hard stance either way on that. Let's just say, It's a complicated scenario, and I understand both sides of that argument. Any other thoughts? No. You're sufficiently sufficiently neutral. (laughs) Sufficiently neutral. No, I, I don't know. I, honestly, I'd have to really think about that one for a while to think of if, how, how much I'd be willing to, to, to say that I'd be on either side of that because it's a complicated one. And Ru- I like Russell Westbrook for the record. I, I have a, a hundred problems with his game, lots of things that I think about with it. But I think that I, I, you know, I just understand the issues with that contract. It balloons. It's over $40 million going forward. So it's just huge. So uh, I have a feeling that we would absolutely love him if he played for the Phoenix Suns, flaws and all. Uh, he's just that type of guy, I think, that you start to accept. But, you know, OKC fans are turning on him too. So what we did on this podcast, we talked about our new coach, Monty Williams. We added Kevin Durant to the team. We added Anthony Davis to the team and we reunited potentially Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. So we did it. I don't know why they didn't hire us in Jeff Bauer's place here. (laughs) We clearly have all the connections. We figured it out. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the timeline. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the timeline pod. You can find mine and Sam's Twitter accounts there. Subscribe to this podcast. Listen forward. Thanks to Blue Wire. Thanks to Harry's. They invested their lives. 10 years we worked in here. Now look. In a town that was on its way out. Few years and men won't exist. We're not needed no more, are we? Obsolete. They were about to lose everything they worked for. You're not our foreman anymore. You're just like the rest of us. Scrap. 
everything they loved. We're finished, Dave. Dinosaurs. Now, these six unemployed factory workers are training for it, planning for it, and going all the way. Fox Searchlight Pictures presents a comedy about staying alive, working together, and uncovering your potential. We can either forget it or do it and just maybe get rich. This is your great money-making enterprise, is it? Yeah. So, what can you do? This. Monty. Excuse me, no one said anything to me about the full Monty. The full Monty. Now, are you in or are you out? Having your own home is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. The good news? Finding help for your projects is easier than ever. Introducing Angie, the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips. Need a pro to fix that emergency leak? Maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot. Angie can handle all that and more. Expert pros, hundreds of home projects, clear pricing, and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds. This is Angie, your home for everything home. Download the app today. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.